Welcome to the Corporate Treasury 101 podcast. This is the first part of our full interview with Peter de Kiewitz, where we discuss treasury skills essential for a treasurer. Peter is passionate about recruitment and chose to focus only on treasury. He mixes matchmaking with entrepreneurship, teaching, writing, moderating events, and being amazed by developments. Treasurer Search is a niche recruitment boutique with a focus on interim and permanent positions in treasury. 12 employees work from the Netherlands and Germany and placed hundreds of candidates. In the episode of today, expect to learn what key skills should a treasurer in 2025 have or develop, what emerging trends or developments are shaping these skills requirements, what are the particular technical skills or areas of expertise that are becoming more important in treasury, how treasury professionals can work on acquiring these skills, how does the role of a treasurer vary across industries, and how does this impact the required skill sets. And of course, much more. Peter is simply impressive, very open-minded, and quite fun to chat with. We hope you will enjoy the episode. If that is the case, and when you're thinking about how you found our podcast, chances are that it was to word of mouth, social media, or a recommendation from your favorite podcast platform. And this is our only request to you. The only way we can get more and more amazing guests and get more people to learn about treasury is thanks to you. So if you enjoy what you hear or maybe learn a thing or two, please consider leaving us a review, following the show, or sharing this episode to help others discover it too. With all that being said, please welcome Peter de Kiewitz. Hey, Peter. Thank you so much for joining us on the Corporate Treasury 101 podcast. To begin with, we'd like to, to talk about the treasurer of 2025. We'd like to dream a little bit. So... What do you think uh, would be the key skills that a treasurer should have in 2025 or have or develop, actually? What's, what's your take on that? Uh, well, thank you for having me, first of all. And, and thinking about 2025, I think it all starts off because I think this is for a lot of the audience how to develop themselves. I think I want to mention first that it starts with finding out what drives you. So it's not, about, not so much about skills. Gathering skills, because you can gather a lot of skills, but it makes sense to find out if you, if you are a treasury technician or if you are a, a connector, a business person or anything like that. So start with thinking, why do I want to evolve in what direction? What, what's the purpose for me in my career? And then start building up on that. And in general, what I see already over many years right now is that they're, they're really successful treasurers, in a sense, they go up in the org chart, become the director, become the group treasurer. If that's what you're looking for, and again, that's, that's not for all of us, then making the connection to the business comes first. It is translating your expertise about cash, risk, corporate finance into what's relevant for the business. I think that is where it all starts off. That's not different for 2025 than for 2020 or 2015. I think a lot of aspects that are asked from many, um, let's say employees right now, which are not treasury specific, are also relevant for treasury. Um, so yeah, you, you've, you've got your tax savvy, data driven, 
uh, people. Yeah, well, that's that's not a treasury person question to ask, but it's it's for all people coming into the labor market right now. So I think 2025, find out what, what you want and build upon that and then start developing your skills, be it technical, be it interpersonal or whatever. That's that's super interesting that you you barely touched upon the actual technical skills. Um, we quickly mentioned cash management, but we could imagine that in such a period that we are in, in 2023, July right now, uh, that you could think, okay, managing financial risk will become key, but you focus more on the interpersonal, the soft skills, actually. Why, why do you think it's that important? Well, I think a lot of the treasury population has a lot of technical skills. So you see a lot quantitative, detail-oriented people, tech-savvy also quite a few. And they've, they've been in their traditional, proverbial ivory tower, um, doing a good job. I think a lot of people who are, who are listening into this podcast are, are about development. And, and I think getting better technical skills won't get you the exposure you need to go up your career. It's, 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 there's this, this equation that says the effectiveness of your advice is not only the quality, but it's also the acceptance. And I think a lot of the treasurers don't focus on the acceptance. So they're talking about with their sales colleagues about, about ethics risks or with their CFO or even their CEO, and they lose traction because their audience is simply not interested enough. They are not finding a hook to, to bring it in. And, and TMI posted a, a article last week about treasury not being sexy or making it sexy. Well, I think those people who can make treasury sexy those are the ones who, who move forward in their careers. So you have to think about who you're working with to, to, to get ahead. And that's all about people. And that's not about tables or colors or large Excel sheets. I, I, and don't get me wrong. Those are also important. They remain important. But to make the next step is, is, is finding traction with your message there. It's funny because that's, that's our mission statement. Well, not exactly phrased like this, but we want to make corporate treasury sexy, Peter. So we're on it. <laughs> but yeah, makes makes a lot yeah. of sense. And so what, what do you see as the emerging trends or developments that are shaping those skill requirements then? What, what influences all this? If you, if you talk about skill development, I see that the, the very traditional ways of acquiring skills remain so you go to your 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 university and you get your degree so that that remains i see a a variation in let's say postgraduate skills there is of course the act the ctp in the netherlands we've got the postgraduate at university those were obvious ways to get extra skills and i think they're still relevant but what you see with a lot of people they go they develop themselves over events, over tutorials, over webinars, over acquiring a lot of extra skills. Because I think the the, the also from a certain um, to a certain degree, the, the the standard educational institutions cannot catch up. It's for a university. It's hard to uh, to know what's happening in two thousand twenty five when they upgrade their curriculum every five years, and they did so in 2023. So, so you see a kind of a blended learning. Uh, that is what you see from a, let's say, 
how to acquire these skills and going into the what kind of skills. Of course, the technology is, is quite prominent and it remains prominent, but also I, I think there it's what you get at the university. So the young graduates, be it economical, be it mathematical, but also the sociology people, they already come with programming skills. So the technology part is already ingrained in the in the current education. But if you if you are, let's say, not 25 or 35, perhaps you, you have to pick up a book or go to a course or whatever. And then I think there used to be focus a lot on cash management and, and pooling and TMSs and, and, and risk. There was a bit of a decrease. There was like companies were getting risk-averse technology kicking in. Yeah, well, if you had called 10 banks 50 years ago, now you can use your 360T or your FXL. So there, there, there was a time that there was a decrease in, in, in risk skills development because there was no demand. Currently, that's changing again. You see your counterparty risks. You see the banks defaulting. You see the volatility in interest rates and ethics. People have to understand. So I do think that risk is becoming more important again in comparison to five or eight years ago. So that might also mean that there's a shift towards the the CFAs, the GARPs, or FRM uh, education type gets these risk aspects in again. There are some some developments there, but it's it's that's the that's the beauty of treasury. It's constantly changing and and it's hard to predict. So I think that's the fun in the field. Super interesting the way you that you said that because indeed with the current you know news what's been going on in the in the treasury world, banks defaulting counterparty risk. A few of our guests have mentioned that now that this is becoming more and more of a important topic. I also find interesting all that like there's like this what you mentioned about this time delay in like something that's a big problem now. And then companies to need to go out and uh, start hiring to fill up that specific aspect of treasury a bit more rigorously. Treasurers need to upskill themselves on those topics much quicker as well. Have you seen something like this perhaps similar in the past and how did it pan out? So if we're talking now that's counterparty risk, mm-hmm. with your experience in the recruiting world, what was that thing, I don't know, five years ago? What was the last time you saw this time delay happen in real life? Yeah, a good question. I think it, it, it happens constantly. So the let's say the standard educational institutes are not known for being very swift in their changes. So I can, I can mention many examples there. What I see from the recruitment industry, because I have two, let's say, two focus elements in my in my in my job. It's the recruitment side and it's the treasury side. Is let's say over the last five to eight years, there's an increase in attention in in what's it, it became a bit of a fashion thing, which I don't like that much. But agility. So I think agility is is about not knowing everything. But having the skills, the competences, the mindset, the personality to deal with changes, changing environment, uh, and and me interviewing candidates and finding this out is also listening to people and uh, telling about what went wrong. Uh, okay, I had this plan, we executed, and it went totally pear-shaped, and then we had to change and and readjust. This was the analysis. We adjusted this way, and then it worked out. 
that's what, what my clients and me like a lot, because that's a sign that somebody can, can work with changing aspects. Whereas, uh, let's say others are, are kind of stuck in their ways. So people coming in and say, oh, I'm the guru, I'm the expert. I know everything about ethics, derivatives, uh, listen to me and I will teach you. That's not necessarily wrong, but it's wrong for many positions. And, and that's only if you, if you want a one trick pony that, that would work right. And that's also not the people who can connect very well with the business. Those are the, the broadcasting types. And, and in also from a recruit perspective already for a very long time, we are always looking for, for ways to predict if somebody's successful. There are, let's say measuring sticks you use to find out, will you be successful? And, and the obvious one, and not everybody will like to hear this, uh, but it's simply IQ. IQ is a very good predictor of somebody being successful. Not, not a one-on-one, -on -one, but let's say a, a 70%. So if you're smart enough and you, and you, and you did the, let's say the, you did your homework and you, and you graduated and you, you've shown that you're smart, then you can also uh, uh, apply the concepts you learned about risk management in ethics to commodities, to interest rates, because you can go beyond and apply what's, uh, uh, what's relevant there and, and apply it into a new situation. Going back to a soft skill again. So yeah, that's interesting. We, we started with a, with a hard skill question and it somehow went back at a soft skill once again, which is pretty Yeah, well, but it's funny that you said it's a soft skill. For me, it could be, and it, all, it depends on your definition. For me, the, the whole agility and the whole uh, cognitive part of somebody being also smart and analytical, for me, that's not a soft skill. It's also not something you can acquire that's either God's gift or whoever you want to blame, but it's, 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 uh, there used to be times that I had this idealistic view, so you can make your own future if you put your mind to it, but we just have to accept that some people are more talented in certain aspects than others. And that doesn't make one better or worse than the other, but better for this one tradition or not. I just why that could trigger some people. So that's a fair answer. So. Focusing on like uh, what's within your sphere of control, are there skills that you have seen, whether those are soft or hard, uh, which trade professionals can work on and improve that yeah. do put them in better positions? And what are they? Yeah, I, I think I think uh, in 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 skills, it's if you know from yourself. Going back to the to my kickoff, if you if you know. I am the, the analytical type and the, and then let's say treasury technician and you, and that's, that's how you are driven. I think if you want to, want to develop from that spot, I think you should study business, business concepts. How do we make our money? So let's say take the, 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 the MBA and then really go into the books and, and go through the value chain and teach yourself how does this company operate and where do we make the money and then connect that to your cash and your access cash and to your risk and your and and start structuring excellent solutions if that's how you're wired go that direction if you know i want to go up and i've got more the let's say the communication people skills and i want to develop those i think it all starts with going out listening to to business leaders uh, listen to their strategy and and 
translate that in messages that will come across. So it's communication skills, but it starts all with with the listening part. So okay, I I know the CEO wants to expand into that region. Then I have to talk about the topic, but also I have to think about okay, what are the words that he is using? Is he is he a a profit a upside driven person? Okay, what kind of solutions does he want to hear from me to in, to to improve the upside? Uh, or the CFO is, is cost cutting, and does he want to me to speak in euros, or does he want me to speak in action points? So, so we had one workshop one day. It was uh, a uh, insights-driven workshop. I'm not a big fan of insights, but you know, it's the the red and the blue and the green and the yellow personality types, and we kind of help people to find out what type they were. And and in this audience, we had this group. We're 25 or 30 people. And they were predominantly blue in that typology. So that meant... You can name that. Fair, yeah, it's very much you are driven by the numbers, black and white, uh, very analytical, very, very rational. A lot of CFOs are in that typology, they are red. And red are circuits. And they are result-oriented. And they want to score. So, so if you would come in as a blue person, you would have a big data sheet. You would have your Excel and your, your pie chart and your everything. And you would take your time and you have a build up to, to your, your point you want to bring across. That's the red person, the CFO would be totally bored out of his mind. So you start with the results and, and you would say, okay, I can, I, I come in and I can show you how we can sink cost. Uh, in our bank relations by one and a half million annually, uh, do I have your attention? And when he says yes, or she says yes, then you continue. So that's very much a communication skill, which is very trainable, which is almost like a, a trick that starts with, okay, how do I wrap up my message to make it digestible for this person? Very trainable. We started with all of that was um, self-awareness, right? Yeah. Is really understanding what your type is and who you are and what's your strengths and weaknesses. Yeah. And then from there, where do you need to play? I think that makes sense. Yeah. But I see a lot, but that's a bit of a, perhaps I mentioned it too often, but I see too many people living the ambitions of their, of the people around them. They come in and say, I want to be a group treasurer. Okay. Why do you want to be a group treasurer? Uh, is it the car? Is it the money? Is it is it the what challenge? What kind of challenge? Or perhaps your your uh, your spouse said, okay, you you are already in this job for six years. Now it's time to do something new. And then you have to think: is is this the proper reason for me to 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 start a career change, or should I better stay with what drives me instead of? the drivers of others for me. Oh, it makes sense. And we'll put, we'll put a link in the description for the audience who doesn't know about, might not know about this uh, personality test. So we will put a link towards that. Yeah. Um, Peter, how do, so we've talked about in general and the focus on the soft skills, which I really love because I think a soft skill is harder to develop than a hard one, um, but most of them could be developed right through training yeah. and, and reps. Right. So when we look at the, the treasurer's role, how does that one potentially varies across industries? If so, if not, it's 
like rinse and repeat, that's fine. But I believe there will be nuances. Yeah. And how does this impact the required skill sets? Have you seen differences in your experience? Yeah. Well, yeah. yeah I've seen me, me stepping into to recruitment in this job type is also because a lot of treasures can work in a lot of industries. So you can move relatively quickly from one industry to another, but there are big, big uh, differences. So um, for the obvious one, the non-for-profit treasurer is totally different from the profit-driven treasurer or the, the profit company, uh, the, but that's an obvious one. But two, two, two examples, we work for a lot of clients in the in this soft commodities industries, a lot of traders. And what you see over there is that, of course, risk and risk related to the core business is important, but also the traders in a trading company are very prominent and they will enter your, your room as a treasurer. So you have to be able to stand up because if you don't, they will tell you how to do your job uh, because their results, which are connected to their bonuses, are also influenced by how you deal with in the financial markets. So what we see is that, that, for instance, commodity traders, we need more extroverted treasurers who are very much aware of ethics. And for instance, we did a, we worked for all market leaders in the telecom industry. And there, of course, payments are very prominent because it's, it's so many people paying your, their phone bill every month. And of course, luckily, treasurers don't have to deal with every single payment. But they have to be aware of what's happening in, in a company where every month millions of payments come in and how to automate and organize the whole thing. So industries do have an impact. I wouldn't say that you can, that you can train for a certain industry. Of course, if you want to, it makes sense to be aware of that. Uh, but you do see that, that people move slowly into one or the other direction. So it has an impact. It's funny to see that. I mean, from my understanding, it's more the differences will not that much be on the soft skill size, but more the hard ones, right? And the knowledge you need to develop around payments or risk. Mm -hmm. It's very interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And you as a recruiter, um, what have you seen as being the requirements for companies when they look for their next or their group treasury or treasury professionals in general? Mm -hmm. like if we flip the, the question. Yeah. If I understand you well, this is specifically what do companies look for in their next group treasure? Yeah, it, it's, it's correct. For me, that's, that's, uh, I think there's even a book wide name, uh, that says what got you here won't get you there. What I see is that there are different career stages. Let's say let's, let's, let's take three. So you come in as a young graduate and you have to be eager and you have to be smart enough, but you don't have any, any, any directly usable skills. So you have to be trainable and eager and go, go, go. And then in the mid segment, you are recruited for direct applicable skills. That's, that's also a part of the labor market where we have a lot of work. Okay. We are implementing, uh, Kyriba, uh, Nomentia, uh, we are doing a new thing in ethics. So we want somebody who has done this before because we want direct applicable skills. So that's, that's the mid segment and the source for the next level, of course, that the director, the group treasurer and everything related to that. So what gets you into the, the, the mid segment is your experience and your skills in that field. But if you go and want to be a group treasurer, you should be aware that, that your exposure and your, the expectation are different. 
So you are expected to lead a team and inspire a team and to staff a team. And you have to be able to translate this CFO says, okay, we, we are going to acquire this company. Okay. What does it mean? Uh, you have to think about the more strategic part. And what you very often see is, is the, the, the traditional, the best sales guy becomes sales director. And then you lose your best sales guy and you get a dreadful people manager back. And that's still also what's happening in treasury. So, so your best technical treasurer becomes the boss and he, he scares away all people and he cannot communicate with the CEO. So, so what gets you there at the, at the next level is not anymore the technical skills because you've proven that you've got the technical skills. You, you open the book, you've got the proper IQ, you know the solutions. Now you have to show that you can inspire, analyze the business as a whole, well, be prominent and responsible for a whole team. And that's also where you are in a mid-career stage. Your career will be managed to a certain extent. So your boss will tell you, okay, let's, let's have a annual review. What shall we do with your education? What do you want? What do you like? And if you are a good treasurer, your CFO will say, hey, your career advancement is your problem. So if you want somebody, you come and claim it and you convince me, but you get the big bucks. So you are expected to take the own responsibility for your own team, your own career. So if you are at a certain level, you have to act uh, the role. So I think for people who want to move up to group treasure, it's a bit of a mental shift. It's taking, taking responsibility. So you don't get a group treasurer role, you go out and get it. Uh, you go out and get it. <laughs> you claim it. Mm. And what would be your, coming back to one of the things you said earlier, what would be your advice for those people who might be extremely technical, very good at their job? I mean, naturally you get promoted because that's a bit how the system and the companies work. You just, if you stay long enough, quote unquote, and if you prove technical efficiency, eventually you climb the corporate ladder uh, where it's not always the right choice for the company because as you said, some people might be outstanding yeah. at selling, but when they get a leadership role, it's uh, all of a sudden much of a different ball game. But so what's your recommendation for those people who are extremely technical, who want to evolve in their career because eventually they, they don't want to stay there mm -hmm. their whole life, right? So what's the right approach when you are in those shoes? Well, uh, first about your last quick assumption, mm -hmm. there are people who want to stay in their role forever. I used to have a boss who would discuss, who mentioned the, the ambition of a dentist. If you study dentistry, you are 26 and you know what you will do until 67 or 70 or whatever. And the current world says, okay, you have to move up. Well, first start with, it's, it's not a default to go up or out or whatever. If it, it's your choosing, but, but if you want to go up and you want to change and make the next step, I think it's very, it, it makes sense if you, for instance, extremely driven in and, and technical treasurer in, I don't know, in ethics, go to the company with the biggest ethics exposures, be it the banks, be it the trading companies, be it the extreme, be the, the most international ones. And even then you can, you can perhaps hit the ceiling. 
Well, there's something called the uh, Peter principle. I don't know if you know it, but that's, that, that's a theory that says that you always, uh, in your career go up until you went too far and then you will bounce back because you hit your, hit your head and, and you, you didn't do well there. If you can prevent it, it would be nice because it's not always nice to hit your head. And, and at one stage in your career, if you say, okay, there's no better place in the world for me, uh, given my expertise, you can perhaps stay in your job and diversify. So I know of people who are the best in, in, in the trade finance who are also teachers, work at universities or do a lot of speaking events or write books or anything. Um, you can be the global expert or the national expert in one, in one field and that can also already be enough. But I think it starts with the acceptance of, okay, I know this is what drives me. What are the consequences of this? Because this is all not rocket science. Everybody can think of this and the, and the effects of that. But, but I think analyzing and understanding is not the hard part. It's, it's the acceptance. It's accepting that, that there's somebody who's a junior who's now who will be next to you in three years and will be your boss in five years. Some egos cannot handle that, but yeah, well, 